support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm Bob Zaltzberg with WFIU, WTIU News. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the WFIU WTIU news team. We're doing the show remotely today to avoid risk of spreading infection. I'm co-hosting with Sarah Whitmire, the WFIU WTIU news director. This week, we're going to be talking about adjusting to the uncertainties of society and the age of COVID-19. We have uh, four guests with us on, during the first half of the program. We're gonna add a fifth guest in the second half of the program. Hillary Elliott is with us. She's coordinator of Monroe County's Women, Infants and Children program. Deb Fabert is director of clinical operations, behavioral health services, IU Health Bloomington Hospital. Lindsay Potts is the manager of outpatient behavioral health services from Indiana University Health. And also joining us for the first half of the program is uh, Jeff Meese, who is co-founder and CEO of Lenny's and The Hive. So thank you all for being here with us today. And we're, uh, we're doing this show remotely. So we apologize for any technical glitches that we have. We're going to do the best we can to, to get the show on the air and get you lots of different information. If you have questions or comments, please send us, send us your questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org or at Noon Edition. You can also call us at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also, uh, we won't be putting you on the air but uh, our producer will take your questions and we'll go forward. All right, so um, the first question I have, I guess, is for both Deb and Lindsay. Um, you both work with behavioral health services and I wanna talk, I just wanna ask you, you know, how are people in general coping with these issues? Thanks, so this is Lindsay uh, Potts and uh, thanks for having us on. I, I think in general, the, the coping that we're seeing within, um, it, it kind of is into different categories of people who are affected differently by um, the, the current uh, emergency response. So individuals who um, have pre-existing behavioral health conditions, we're finding them needing some additional support. We're also finding that individuals who maybe didn't need behavioral health support before are seeking out those services now. Also, we are finding that individuals who are the first line responders have some unique coping needs. And so we're adapting our services to make sure we can support them as well. All right, what kinds of things are you doing to adapt the services? So um, our outpatient clinic, we are providing all services virtually now. So we're providing services um, via um, a, a virtual application that IU Health has. So those are that's for our existing patients. We're also offering telephone support and we're um, expediting support for our um, healthcare workers to make sure that they can get connected to our services uh, very quickly as they need, the, need that help. All right, Deb, how about you? Yeah, so, um, so on the inpatient um, unit for, units for the hospital, um, really I feel like um, our inpatient nurses, providers, physicians, um, techs um, are really handling um, the stress of uh, this pandemic uh, very well. Um, 
you know, we as behavioral health being the um, in having an inpatient unit, um, a lot of staff um, have reached out to us. Um, one of the really nice things that we're um, have a call later today for is um, to plan some um, respite rooms for the staff to have available to them um, as they're taking care of these patients and they are able to get a break to maybe go into a room that has um, some soothing music, um, calm lighting, some snacks for them, um, maybe an, um, a diffuser of, uh, of some uh, essential oils to help them calm themselves and give them just a few minutes of, of respite away from, um, from the hard work they're doing. Um, healthcare workers in general, I mean, we signed up for this. We know um, that when people are the sickest is when we're going to have to respond. And um, I, I'm really very proud of um, Bloomington Hospital and really the South Central region, Paoli, Bedford, and Morgan. Um, we are in daily uh, meetings and, and uh, conference calls to set up what our, our processes will be as we get more patients. And um, we are really very ready for it um, from a, a taking care of physical needs, um, as well as, as being able to address um, needs for our, our staff as they uh, become um, fatigued and, and need some extra support. Um, Lindsay and her team um, has also volunteered to help with the IU Health um, we have virtual telehealth hub for all of IU Health for behavioral needs and Lindsay's team is supporting um, that. Um, any of our staff um, throughout the state can call in to a central number and get um, in the moment counseling should they need it and then follow-ups as they need it as well. So I feel like we're really very prepared to handle, um, handle the, the pandemic in our, in our area. Let me ask Hillary Elliott. Uh, she's a coordinator with Monroe County Women's Infants and Children's Program. How has this affected your program? Well, for us, we're used to seeing everyone face to face, but right now the whole entire state, no matter what county you live in, all WIC appointments are being done via over the phone so that we don't interrupt any of their benefits. And the only issue that we're really seeing is some of those WIC benefits that they go to store, the store to get are not being found, but I know the stores are working super hard on making sure we get replenished. All right, are you hearing from a lot of your clients about, you know, about their struggles? We are, and it mainly is just trying to find their WIC benefits in the store, and we just keep telling them to keep checking back and trying the best we can, because we know the stores are working really, really hard at getting that stuff. We've had a few families call that haven't been on WIC for a while and with the situation that's going on and some people aren't working as much, we've been able to help them the same day and get them back on WIC so we can get them benefits right away to help the families out. Okay, uh, we also have Jeff Neese with us and Jeff is uh, the co-founder and CEO of Lenny's and The Hive and Pizza Express or Pizza X, I'm sorry, Jeff, it dates me. Um, so I know that you've taken a lot of steps. You have a lot of people that work for you. Uh, what are you doing to try to help uh, your employees and other employees of restaurants, for instance, that have been um, that have lost their jobs? Hi. Hey, thanks for having me on. Um, so immediately when when there was a well, our catering business is sort of the linchpin in this, which our catering business just evaporated, of course, at the beginning of the of um, when everything was going on. So we, we were forced to, uh, we were forced to really be cautious about our outflow of money uh, because we're very, we've built a lot of things and have some massive debt obligations. So we quickly got people to unemployment from Lenny's and from One World Catering, about a hundred people. But we also immediately realized that we could feed our own staff um, uh, a typical restaurant family meal, which is uh, there's not much choice in when it is or what it is, uh, but the food's good and you can count on it. So, so we call that family meal, and we've continued to do that five days a week for our our staff who are laid off. And then we just we felt like we could expand it to the larger food and beverage community because uh, it's we can do it really efficiently and effectively. And there's a lot of there's a lot of food sort of still in the local restaurant system, the food service system. People are donating food uh, to us, other restaurants. And uh, so that's, that's, that's sort of where we are today. 
So how's the uh, pizza delivery business? Pizza X still delivering? Yeah, it's about the same as it is usual. We're a little bit slower. Uh, we basically, what we've tried to do with Pizza X is we want to keep it open, but we also want to make it as safe for everybody as possible. So we've, we've gone to uh, very easy contactless delivery, uh, which is probably going to become mandatory really soon. But um, we just kind of wanted to step into it and let people understand uh, when I first heard of contactless delivery, I'm like kind of rolled my eyes and then I realized, what are we going to do? Are we going to put the pizza on the ground? No, it's easy. You just put a chair outside the door, a little table. But Pizza X, I think, could have a strong role to play because we can get food to people uh, at their homes very cost effectively. And we want to keep that open. Uh, but we also really curtailed our hours to just make it easier for us to manage. So even at Pizza X, we're not so convenient as we used to be, uh, but but uh, we're open, we're closing the stores at 11 o'clock or so, uh, where we used to stay open until four. But the pizza oh, delivery thanks. business is, is, and of course our campus store is is way off, but uh, we're gonna try to keep that, keep that open just with tighter hours through the duration of this. All right, we're talking uh, to several people today about uh, the impact of the coronavirus, uh, the pandemic, and what they're doing to cope and what people can do to cope. If you have questions or comments for our four guests today, you can give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 1-877-285-9348. But those, uh, we won't be able to put you on the air. Um, and also you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. And the best way to get questions for the show is news at indianapublicmedia.org. So I wanted to talk about, you know, the mental health issues again. And, you know, what are some things people can, that, what, what are some, what's some advice you would give to people who are at home uh, really trying to deal with this issue? You know, what, what, uh, you know, what words of, of advice and encouragement can you give them? Deb or Lindsay? Yeah, so this is Lindsay, and I, I, I think kind of right now a lot of just validation of what is, uh, what would be kind of the typical response to what the current environment is. So a lot of typical responses are kind of this feeling of overwhelmed, helplessness, exhaustion. Uh, we're all kind of in a different routine than, than we're used to. And so with that comes kind of some new discomfort and what I would say is kind of mood swings. So um, just in seeing with a lot of uh, the community members and, and even our, our team here, what I'm noticing is fluctuating between pr feeling pretty empowered and like, okay, we can do this. We're going we're gonna to be able to overcome. And then kind of uh, the counter to that of, of kind of this disillusionment and just exhaustion um, with, with this situation. This situation is unique. It's, it's not it's a crisis in uh, in a sense. However, it's a crisis that is is really long. Um, so the unpredictable nature of this comes with some unpredictable kind of emotions and reactions. So a lot of validation and just normalization of that for for everyone um, who's currently um, working through creating new new routines and kind of a new sense of normal right now. So um, I, I say kind of the really the coping response with this is in kind of creating a sense of flexibility and adaptability around what's currently going on. And that includes lowering expectations. I know a lot of people are working in different environments, are having to juggle childcare, um, teaching your children, which is new, which I know is a current struggle for me, um, trying to manage how to keep my kids engaged while also managing a full-time um, job at home. Um, this is the reality for, for the majority of the people in the community right now. And so um, it's lowering expectations of, of how we're going to get things done, how much we're going to get done, um, and, and really what that's going to look like. Uh, so that's, that's a really important way to kind of help cognitively respond to this in a way that will potentially get this, uh, will potentially help foster connection um, during this time. So that's that's kind of a really key component is, is creating your own boundaries within your day and, and within what expectations 
you should have. Um, another thing that um, is really helpful is kind of narrowing um, your own kind of uh, lotus of control is what uh, I like to call it. And this is basically what, what impact can we actually have? So there's a lot of information out there and this information can be, it, it's coming from every direction and it's, it can be hard to digest what really do we have control over. And right now, kind of the lotus of control that we all have is pretty small. It's really in our own activities. It's in what we do every day. Um, it's in the interactions that we have with our loved ones. And so focusing in on that lotus of control, it can help in, invite those feelings of empowerment in, um, kind of push away those feelings where you may be feeling just overwhelmed. So um, those are some key ones. Um, Deb, I know, has some wonderful um, examples of, of how to connect virtually and how she's been supporting our team and connecting and how those can be applied even to your own smaller communities. Okay, okay Deb. Yeah, so thanks. Uh, uh, thanks for that, Lindsay. And uh, again, thanks for having us on. Um, so yeah, so so how, what I, I've got younger younger kids that are, teenage and, and uh, early 20s. And one of the biggest struggles for them is really not having the social interaction they would normally have, um, being able to go out and see their friends, um, which is really dangerous for them to be doing at this time. And um, I, don't, I don't want, I think the biggest thing about social distancing is, is folks need to realize that we have to treat everyone like they're COVID positive. You know, it, nothing, contact with anybody is really not safe except for just your, your your family that you're quarantining. Um, and so that's really been a struggle for, uh, for my, my kids. And, um, and so what we've done is started um, at least three nights a week doing what we call quarantine uh, quality time. And we just Facebook each other um, and, um, or, or um, you know, video chat um, with each other and um, have a meal and talk like we normally would if we were sitting around a table. Um, and that has been really fun um, for us to do. And it's really kind of made some, some more, more normalcy um, to our lives, um, kind of like what Lindsay was talking about. Um, in my work environment, um, we have what we call Teams and it's a Microsoft product that you can put live, you can put video chats on. And so my leadership team, there's so much information that is coming out um, daily. In fact, what we were doing yesterday probably will change today and then it can change again tomorrow. So it's really hard to keep my staff updated with, with everything that's going on. And, um, and so what we've done is um, tried to do, um, I can go out and talk with the staff um, and keep our distance as best we can, but talk with them, but then I'm not reaching all of them at the same time. Um, so they're not gonna all get the information and information in this um, crisis is really I think is empowering. Um, the staff want to know what's going on. They want to know what the latest decisions are and they're changing so quickly. It's really hard to keep everyone updated. So we've been using Teams um, and, and video to do a daily uh, update for that. And then we end it with something silly. Um, one of our video chats this week ended with um, a question to the staff, what would you do for a, royal, for a roll of toilet paper? <laughs> we got some <laughs> Interesting. People are like, well, I give up my firstborn. Well, maybe not, um, you know, or um, they were making food for each other um, and those kinds of things. So um, offering a hundred bucks for, you know, a roll of toilet paper, because who knows why, but that seems to be the things that people are hoarding. So um, we've been doing that. We've been also feeding the staff, I think, um, you know, with Jeff um, on, on this um radio broadcast as well. Um, you know, I think it's really important to nurture people if we can and um, feeding people always is comforting to them. It makes them feel well, well cared for. Um, so we've been ordering lots of pizzas and lots of um, food um, for our staff. Um, the other thing we've done is we've asked um, people, you know, when you ask someone, how are you? You know, you usually get the answer fine. Well, that doesn't really tell you very much because it's just something our culture in our culture that we say. Um, and so um, we kind of changed that up a little bit to say, okay, if you were the weather forecast today, what would your what would your forecast be? You know, is it sunny and warm? Is it stormy? Is there a tornado, a hurricane? What have going on? And uh, so that's kind of been a fun way for us to connect with people um, and with our staff and try to keep things lighthearted. 
um, as you know, we face um, this pandemic and caring for, for a lot of uh, very sick people. <clears throat> well, Deb and Lindsay, thank you for, for those answers. I think one thing I heard Lindsay say is uh, you can kind of give yourself permission to make a mistake now and then. And I've given out our phone numbers a couple of times today, and I really shouldn't have because we don't have anybody in the studio who are answering those phones. So if you have a question, please send it to news at indianapublicmedia.org, or you can also find us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Sarah? We've gotten several questions about food safety, particularly about restaurants and whether takeout food is safe. Jeff, I was hoping you could just address that and talk about extra precautions that um, we're taking to just ensure food safety. Yeah, you bet. Well, um, who where to start? Um, uh, you know, I can only speak in our operations, but but it's been at it's been at you know every day you find ways that you can be more safe. Uh, so early on, you know, the issue was hand washing and surfaces, and we jumped right on that. But then quickly we realized, you know, we got to get people, we got to get people in masks uh, or bandanas is really what we're using. And that started about two weeks ago. Uh, and uh, because uh, for obvious reasons, uh, but every day we're finding ways to just be be safer. Uh, um, about a, 10 days ago, I was walking through some cooler strips. You know, we use, we use strips hanging down uh, to separate cold spaces from warm spaces and realized, you know, we were sanitizing them every day, but there's 50 people, you know, that go through these things and just realized in a moment, this got to get these things down. So in, in about two hours, we got it all around the company and took those down, but we didn't, you know, you don't see them until you see them. So we're just trying to be as, as aware uh, and get our staff as aware as aware as possible. And I, I think, uh, I think at least in our operations, we're as, we're as safe as we can possibly be, which is not a hundred percent safe. Uh, but uh, boy, everybody's on it. And it's a big, big part of what we're doing. Are you working with fewer staff just to try to keep the numbers down and lower that risk of the virus being transmitted? Uh, well, that's why we've reduced hours and we like we run in Hive. We kept Hive open for a while, but we just uh, on Monday thought let's just let's just close it down. It's less to manage. There's less chance. We were afraid we had uh, somebody who had tested positive at Hive, and I, I actually still haven't heard a hundred percent on that. So, um, so that's why we immediately, you know, uh, cut pizza X back in terms of hours, but it, it's not, we basically, if somebody doesn't want to work, if somebody feels un, unsafe, you know, if an employee feels unsafe or, or just, you know, family to take care of whatever, we're just basically very quickly getting them laid off. So we're just trying to manage that. Essentially, I want it to be our people's choice. Nobody should have to keep working if they don't feel safe uh, or just doesn't want to deal with what we have to deal with to keep the doors open. Hey, Jeff, um, we're going to let you go now. I know you were only going to be with us for the first half of the program, but I want to thank you for all you've been doing. You've really taken a leadership role in trying to take care of people in the community and you know we i think the community really appreciates it well, so thank you keep i think up we the good all work. do what we all do what we can do so thank you uh it's uh, i'm honored to have the opportunity to help so thank you thanks for having me on uh, all right thank you that was jeff meese who's from lenny's and pizza x and hive and uh one world catering so we're talking about the coronavirus several aspects of it today we talked about you know, food and food safety and restaurants in the first half of the program. Um, we are going to be joined, we are being joined in the second half of the program now by Jimmy Moore, who's uh, the pastor at St. Mark's United Methodist Church. Jimmy, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks, Bob. Uh, thanks for the invitation. Sure. So uh, we also have on the program for the second half of the show, Hillary Elliott is still with us, coordinator of Monroe County's Women, Infants, and Children Program. Deb Fabert, who's Director of Clinical Operations at Behavioral Health Services, IU Health, Bloomington Hospital, and Lindsay Potts, the Manager of Outpatient Behavioral Health Services for Indiana University Health. Um, we're not taking calls today because uh, we're all doing this remotely. We're trying to stay as far apart as we can. 
you can join us uh, by sending your questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org or on Twitter at Noon Edition. So, Jimmy, let me ask about um, just the, the spiritual aspects of this and how you keep a congregation together when you really can't meet on Sunday morning. Well, most of us, uh, many of us in faith community have obviously moved more toward um, com communicating through computer, um, live stream worship services, uh, Zoom, and other platforms like that for meetings. But I will say I've been in ministry for, for quite a while, and we're reinventing the wheel right now. Yeah, we're doing it differently than we've ever done it before. And we, we, just, we just have to, to be able to connect. Mm -hmm. And so what kinds of things, I and mean, when you say you're reinventing the wheel, I mean, I know, you know, I know you're using social media and you're, you're having uh, services on, on Facebook. And, you know, what other kinds of things are you doing to try to make sure you connect with people in your congregation? Well, I, I, I think that um, we've done several things. Again, I did mention the worship services that we're doing, and uh, that's been intriguing. We didn't really know how quickly we would have to go to that. This has been a gradual, for all of us in our culture, a time of, of gradual acceptance acceptance toward greater restriction. And so it's really interesting doing a worship service with we, no one in the building except a couple of people. Um, but we chose and to do live stream. Other congregations have chosen who are doing some kind of streaming service are doing like the recording and putting some things together and they're not doing it live we chose to do it live we may weave in some recordings but we found that has been really well received and one of the things we discovered um in the feedback that we've gotten is how and some of your guests have spoken to this but how socially isolated people feel it's one thing to be socially distant in order to to help the keep the disease from spreading but social isolation is is really prevalent and people are just hungry to be able to connect and so in many ways while we might have in an earlier time said that people wouldn't connect well uh, over the internet we're finding that not to be as true they would rather see each other's faces and shake hands and embrace but this is what we have and for our meetings and, and i did a pub theology meeting the other night with um, zoom we had about 30 or 40 people uh, on that zoom meeting that's actually, I'm sure Zoom is doing great. <laughs> Their stock should be going through the roof because churches all over uh, have started using this for many different kinds of, of meetings. And, it, and I'm sure there are many other platforms like it, but it's a really reliable platform. There is a caveat for those who used it. Uh, someone in my congregation told me, be sure not to publish the link like out loud to, to people outside your group because there is something now called Zoom bombing for people who just want to create mischief will <laughs> latch onto your meeting. And one of my, one of my colleagues <clears throat> in another town found that out, unfortunately, the other day. The third thing we've done, Bob, is um, we've actually just used the old-fashioned telephone with their cell phones, but we're calling people. And so we are actually organizing calling trees uh, because even with the online services, we know that there are people in the community, in our congregation, who either for varieties of reasons aren't very well connected with tech. And we just wanna make sure that we're remembering them and trying to find out what their needs are. So those are a few of the things that we've done. So I wanna make sure that uh, people heard what you said. You said pub theology, right? Yeah, yeah. And so can you explain what that is? Yeah, sure. We, we sometimes actually, we, we were going to different establishments and having a little something to eat and drink and talking theology uh, when we, weren't able to go to places anymore. We invited people who were in that group and we shared the link with others who they brought to our attention um, to do the meeting online on Zoom. And so I sent out readings and we talked, and matter of fact, we talked about uh, pandemic and quarantine in theological perspective in our last meeting. And uh, it, it went, we, it went really well. I mean, it's not as great as being with people and and being in the same room, but it was um, really, I thought, well received by those folks who, frankly, hadn't been able to be with their friends. Yeah, I mean, this is something that uh, Deb Faber talked about a little bit too, and, and I think people are finding ways to connect, you know, whether it's groups that you get together with for breakfast or whether it's uh, some kind of just getting family together to have a, have a conversation or whatever, so. You know, I, I give you congratulations for doing that. I want to want to bring Hillary Elliott back in. We she's the coordinator of Monroe County's Women, Infants, and Children program, and I think Hillary, the you know, you have a certain um, certain level of 
service that you provide now, but I think the way that the economy is going, uh, it seems like the need for your services may really expand in, in the future. Are you prepared for that? And how can people, you know, how do people get connected to your program? Yes, we are prepared for it. We have quite a few registered dietitians that work for us in the office. And like I said, we're doing all the appointments from home. We are fitting people in same day when you call us. If you're interested in WIC services, and that would be anybody who's pregnant, or if you have a child that is under the age of five, then you would just give us a phone call at 812-353-3221. And we can kind of ask you a few questions. We are an income-based program, but we know everybody's income's been cut a little bit right now because some of us aren't working as much and we'll walk them through the steps and help them out in any way that we can. Okay. So when you talk about being an income-based program, so you have a certain level that if you make less, make uh, more than that level, you would not qualify. Is that correct? Right. And right now we know everything's kind of up in the air and you don't know when you're going to go back to work. So it's basically we're asking what's your income in the past 30 days or the past couple weeks that we can help you out. And we base it on the number of people in your household. Okay. So people who may not have thought about you before because they didn't qualify might very well qualify now or, or you, they could use your services now. Correct. Okay. Sarah? Hillary, on social media, there have been a lot of these pictures from grocery stores showing um, price tags at grocery stores and saying if it has this WIC symbol on them to make sure to save those for people who are restricted to buying those items. Is, is, that, is that true? Is that something consumers should be thinking about when they're grocery shopping? It actually is true. They do have like certain brands or certain sizes that you can only buy on WIC. So for instance, for instance, some of our breads, because we offer whole grain bread, they have to be a 16 ounce size loaf and they have to meet certain standards for how much fibers in them, how much whole grains. So they will have a little symbol that either says WIC for WIC or it'll have a picture of our WIC apple and those the clients can only get those certain brands and sizes. You'll find that with cereals, milks, um, let's see, our cheeses that they're allowed to get, juice, it just kind of varies, but it is true. They are only allowed certain things. So if folks had a more difficult time trying to shop right now with, you know, a lot of things being out at, at the grocery stores, they have, and I don't think anything was ever done intentionally. People just saw that, oh, that whole wheat pasta is available. I'm going to go ahead and purchase it and take it home. When unfortunately that was the only whole wheat pasta or the whole grain bread that the WIC participant could get. But the stores um, have seen that need and they are doing a fantastic job of restocking those as fast as they can for us. All right. If you have questions or comments for us, please give us a call. Uh, don't give us a call. I'm sorry. Please uh, email the show news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So uh, the Kaiser Family Foundation conducted a survey in March, uh, the end of March, and found that 45% of adults say that the pandemic has affected their mental health. That's 45% of adults. Um, I guess uh, for Lindsay and for Deb, do you expect that that number is going to go up in certain, in, you know, in, in the next few weeks and months? And again, are you all prepared to, you know, to, to talk to more people? So this is Lindsay, and I, I would say um, I, I think, yes, it will go up. I think um, as I kind of spoke to um, the the humanness of all of us will respond to this in, in some way. And I think that there's to expect some um, mental health impact is, is for everyone. Um, and I think a lot of uh, what we spoke to as far as trying to uh, buffer yourself for the marathon, uh, I think that's something to be aware of. I think initially this, this felt like, oh, okay, this is gonna be just for, for a couple of weeks. I don't know. I think even myself in, in that as, as I've gone along kind of uh, have had to adapt my own expectations of how long this is going to be. So um, as this goes on, the, 
the feelings of isolation that have been discussed, the um, the impact of the financial the financial impact will become um, more pervasive. And as as those stressors increase, we absolutely expect that um, a lot of the population will have some negative impacts to their mental health. Um, and I would say, as far as kind of our uh, ability to respond, we're continuing to. Now that we're in a, um, doing virtual services, we're finding that we, we do have some unique increased access points um, that weren't a part of uh, our behavioral health system before. So we are uh, working very collaboratively as a community and um, working with um, our partners um, at Centerstone and working with our other private practice um, community providers um, for behavioral health to make sure that we're all collaborating together to meet this need. Uh, it is going to take a village and um, I, if if anybody's tried to access behavioral health services before um, this, this crisis uh, understood that it's, it can be challenging. So we're trying to, to really take down those challenges and those boundaries that the last thing we want to do is to, as somebody's trying to seek help, that um, that in and of itself causes a lot of stress. So we're absolutely working um, as a whole to remove those barriers. And then also just continuing to try to support um, the community and neighbors with just um, how we can all rally together to support each other, I think is a really um, important piece of this and, and hearing about the faith communities and how that's such an important piece here, um, gathering in untraditional ways within other social networks. Um, another thing that we're doing is uh, we are, we, we have one of our staff that we've adapted their role. Um, she used to do a lot of our check-in um, and get like vitals. Now that we're virtual, her role is adapted and, and her a lot of her role is just um, calling um, the patients that we know are alone. Um, and so she's just simply just reaching out um, to connect with them and be like, hey, we're thinking about you. Um, so I encourage that for everybody to do that. If you know of people in your life that maybe are more alone, um, just that simple contact can, can really help people get through that day, get through that next week as we continue to uh, on this, this kind of marathon of a journey um, through this kind of isolated time. Deb? Yeah, so um, uh, to tag on to what Lindsay said, um, I really think this is going to come in waves of, um, of different mental health needs. You know, in, in the short term, when something um, happens, um, like this, I think a lot of people just generally feel like, well, that's going to happen to others, but it's not going to happen to me. Um, and so um, the social is isolation piece, I think, is challenging for folks now. But as the pandemic continues, um, and we have, um, you know, as we heard on the on the news uh, broadcast um, on the radio right, right before we went on, um, you know, the number of cases and the number of deaths in the state is increasing. And we're seeing that curve upward um, of the pandemic affecting us. So what's gonna happen next? Um, um, they predict that um, as more deaths happen, as more people are hospitalized in ICU, um, as there is more strain on the hospital system to care for people, um, that more people are gonna be touched personally by the illness. So they're gonna know someone um, you know, who either has it or maybe they'll know someone who, um, who dies from it. Um, and so then that will be another wave of, oh my gosh, this really is real. Um, and, and, and the longer all of this goes on, I think um, the harder it's gonna be for people to hold, um, hold themselves together um, and cope um, with their normal coping mechanisms. They're gonna either have to develop additional coping mechanisms, mechanisms and try to keep, uh, as much normalcy as they can in their life. Um, but I think we're going to see a, a surge of folks really struggling with this. And so um, the state has done a really good job. Um, I'm on the Indiana Hospital Association Behavioral Health Council, and they sent out a survey um, a few weeks ago to find out how many beds we have. Are those beds going to remain behavioral health beds? Um, are, are they going to maybe be converted to medical beds? And so uh, each hospital, I know IU Health is, is doing this, and I know across the state they are as well in other hospital systems, is we're really planning to make sure that we're there for the medical overflow should we need to be, but we also need to be sure that we're caring for our behavioral health patients who are inevitably going to need um, the beds as well. What's really interesting to me um, that I did not anticipate seeing 
Uh, of course, all of this is un unprecedented times, um, but I, my background before behavioral health was emergency nursing for over 30 years. Um, and I was um, a manager in the downtown Indianapolis Methodist Hospital Trauma Center. Um, is really the patient volume inpatient at, at our hospital is less than it's been, um, than it routinely is. Our number of emergency visits are less and the behavioral health census on our unit um, is way less than it has been. Um, so I don't think anybody other than folks staying home and maybe not wanting to come to the hospital um, unless they, they feel you know they, they need to be tested for, for COVID. I don't know why that's happening, um, but it's kind of a blessing because it's allowing us time to get things in place to be able to care for what needs to be cared for. Um, and I really don't anticipate us not, um, not being able, we're gonna have behavioral health beds and we'll find ways just as Lindsay's team, uh, and I know other people in the community are doing as well, to reach out to people either you know, virtually or by the phone um, to, to meet the needs. So I think we're prepared to meet the needs. Um, it's just gonna be interesting, interesting to see um, you know, how, how the needs change uh, throughout this. Again, it's unprecedented times, so we, so we really just don't know. Um, one other comment I want to make real quick is, is to uh, Reverend Moore. Um, there was a, a prayer vigil that was done in the Bloomington parking lot. I know it was um, on the news. Um, I can't tell you how moving that was that our community together to support the health caregivers. Um, it, it's, it's overwhelmingly moving. Um, so I don't know if, if um, he could speak to that. Well, I want to just say, Deb, first, how grateful we are for those of you in healthcare, including mental health care, which is an extraordinarily vital part of healthcare for the work that you're doing. It is brave, it is compassionate, and it is loving. And we are deeply moved by that. And Deb is exactly right. This is going to continue to grow. WAVE is a really, I think, apt way of describing it. Um, someone sent me a, an article the other day by an Irish um, journalist who talked about, will coronavirus inhibit our ability to mourn? because he quoted of all people, Stalin, who said one death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic. And I think that, you know, I remember taking a polio vaccine when I was a kid. We haven't lived much in a world in which there hasn't been either a vaccine or a treatment for most, for many illnesses. That's not true anymore. This is happening to us. And so what I, what I have seen and some connections I have is that one of the, one of the great First, we're going to be experiencing more death, and it's going to be, and people right now can't have funerals at funeral homes or in churches. That can't happen. The other thing that can't happen is that families cannot visit their families in the hospital, even those in intensive care, maybe especially those in intensive care. And I have an acquaintance right now who, who's, whose grown daughter uh, is um, fighting this virus and is uh, in really tough shape, and she might be able every now and then to get a FaceTime view of her daughter. So this is profoundly challenging, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically. And it, and it, it calls for all of us, whoever it was that said, this calls us to be a village is exactly right. Sarah? Reverend, how, how are you counseling people in those really tough situations? You know, we, we've been working on a few stories about that, about funerals and about folks losing loved ones. How do you help them get through this when they don't get to say those goodbyes or? Who is that for us there? Is that for me or for someone else? That's for you, yes. Okay, sure. Well, we one of the things we did very early on was just to call the funeral homes to see, and, and, and I will tell you, early on, they were kind of ahead of the curve and they were working with their families to say already what you need to do right now. The best thing we can offer you right now is a private service, a graveside service or something like that. So um, my wife and colleague is going to do one tomorrow. And then after this is more, we're more freed up and who knows when that will be, uh, we'll, you will, we can offer you a more public celebration. And so with counseling, part of counseling is listening. And so much of that is just listening to their ache, both not only about their grief, but about the inability at this point to have the community surround them with care and love. And, um, <clears throat> and then to hopefully give them other options if they can find a way to get their family or their connections together down the road. But that is, that is, this is something that we're going to see in larger numbers. And so we are just preparing to be present with those families to the, in the best way that we can. 
This kind of segues into a question that we had from one of our listeners. Um, we've had over 220 questions in the last 10 days or so that have come to our newsroom, and we're trying to get to as many of them as we can. But this one says, uh, besides staying home and imploring others to do the same, is there anything we can do to help healthcare workers prepare for what lies ahead? And I think you both started, a couple of you started talking about that before, but what can we do to help these healthcare workers that are on the front lines? Who wants to take that? Yeah, so um, so this is Deb Fabert. Um, really, I, I think um, staying home is the biggest thing. And I know everyone has heard that already, but you know, the fact that we, we don't, one thing that we've seen in our emergency department is, is normally our census in the emergency department is 140 to 160 patients at Bloomington Hospital every day in a 24-hour period. Um, yesterday, they only saw 72 patients. Um, and so what that has allowed the hospital to do is really focus on the pandemic and on the patients who are coming in exhibiting those symptoms so that we can give them the best care um, that we can and, and that they deserve. Um, so staying home and not, uh, not utilizing healthcare services for anything other than, than the emergent things uh, is really important. Um, I, I know we've, you know, um, like personally, I've had three or four doctor's appointments in the last have been canceled proactively because I don't have anything really going on that needs to be handled right now. It's something that can really wait until after um, we get more of a handle on, on the pandemic. So I think that's the number one thing. Um, the other thing is, is I know that personally I've gotten a lot of um, texts and phone messages um, and face Facebook and FaceTime um, messages from my family and friends saying, hey, Deb, take care of yourself. Um, that is really meaningful also. You know, it's, I think if you know someone in healthcare, um, reach out to them and, um, and tell them how grateful you are um, that they are willing, um, you know, to, to stay on the front lines and, and, and take care of people uh, in this trying time. Um, you know, and, and the last thing I'll say is, is that prayers, um, that prayer vigil from last weekend went viral around the hospital. It, yeah. It's really very comforting to know that the community is supporting us <clears throat> in the work that we're trying to do um, because it is hard. Um, you know, we've got around the clock phone calls where the leadership is being called in because the situation is changing and we need to adjust our processes and then we have to cascade that information. So it's, it's really hardly ever getting a day off. And um, so we're trying to, to help each other with that and cover and leave, you know, leave someone in charge when you're, you need to have a day off. But, you know, any of us taking time off right now, it's not going to happen. I mean, we need all hands on deck and, um, and to support each other, if nothing else, um, you know, within the hospital walls. So, so really um, the praying for us and, um, and uh, reaching out to, to give comfort um, comforting words to healthcare workers, I think is, is a very meaningful thing that anyone can do right now. Okay. Anybody else want to add, Jimmy, or? Well, I just, I just want to uh, once again say that these um, brave souls are in our prayers and our, um, our community that I've been in touch with in my congregation is, is so moved by what they know that these workers are doing and what they're having to prepare to do. And I, I, I think part of the challenges for us is that we're not always sure if there's anything else we can do or what, what there is to do. So we're always listening. Uh, but remember, carrying people in our hearts is what we definitely are doing right now. We only have a couple minutes to go and uh, looks like Sarah may have another question, Sarah. Yeah, this is probably, probably for Deb, but uh, one of our listeners is wondering about tips for coping with financial stress. Um, actually, I think Lindsay um, might be able to address that. Uh, she's probably dealt with some of that in her um, outpatient telehealth care. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I would say, again, kind of back to focusing on the what lotus of control you have. So some of the uh, some of the resources that I know with, with WIC and, and I know that the state of Indiana is um, 
making sure that people have access to and are getting quicker access to SNAP benefits as well. Um, so that way people can uh, continue their, to receive their, uh, their, their additional funding to get to acquire food and those basic needs. Um, I think kind of focusing on what, what is happening with, with um, what the community is doing to try to support um, people within that space. Um, beyond like if we look at broader financial stress that sometimes can happen as far as kind of not knowing when um, this will end, um, it's, it's narrowing the focus into one day at a time, one week at a time. Um, and, and that can help to keep that stress lower. Um, the reality of many people's situations um, is potentially gonna get pretty dire. I think some of the individuals, some individuals that have never sought public assistance before may have to at this point. Um, and so it, it may be accessing resources that previously people haven't had to access before um, to, to kind of get through this phase and, and focusing on, on what those things that, that they can do um, to do that. And as far as um, all of us as a community helping with that, that kind of financial stress, I think one of the things that has been empowering for, for people who are able to is, is finding those local resources and funds that are available to support um, individuals that are currently struggling right now. Um, there's, there's some different state initiatives and local initiatives to, to help cope with that. So um, all of those are, are things that I think can help people um, whether this time the, the realities of the financial hardships are very, very real um, and, and want to make sure that, and I know something that we do is, is constantly keeping a resource list up to date um, within our own practice of, of what um, is out there for, for individuals to access uh, to support them through this time. Um, Hillary, in the last 30 seconds, can you give us uh, the numbers for how to reach Monroe County Women's, Women, Infants and Children program? Yes, you could just give us a call at 812-353-3221. And if we don't answer the phone, leave us a message and we'll call you back right away and figure out how we can assist them. Okay, thank you very much. We are out of time. You've all been very, very helpful. I want to uh, thank Hillary Elliott, Deb Fabert, Lindsay Potts, Jeff Meese, and the Reverend Jimmy Moore for being here with us. We've had a lot of production help from... John Bailey and Mike Pashkash, um, Matt Stonecipher, and uh, Sarah Whitmire has been our co-host. Benta Boutier has been our producer. Thanks. You've, you've, this has been Noon Edition. Take care. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.